Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and shortly we will be starting our next episode. We will be providing you tools, resources, and information that you can use to make your life just a little bit better. But before we do that, let's honor our country, and then we'll begin the podcast. Welcome back to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and today I have a special guest on with me, author James Stordahl, and he is the author of the book Scatterbrain, and that involves um, bipolar, and uh, he is going to tell us a little bit about his background, um, what he, he does besides being an author, and talk to us and our veteran listeners about uh, about by uh, being bipolar, uh, which he is. So uh, welcome, James. Uh, I think you're on the line with me. Okay. Hi, Brad. Thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me uh, uh, on the uh, bus here. Um, sure. I'm uh, I'm up here in a little bit north of you um, in central Iowa, and uh, I'm a Norwegian farm boy from uh, Minnesota, and I, I took a wrong turn uh, with a job uh, and ended up in Iowa. That's the joke that the relatives all say. You know, you took a wrong turn if you get too close to Iowa. But we've fallen in love with it up here, and this is really cool. A uh, good place to uh, live. It's a, it's a quiet, uh, unassuming kind of an environment. And uh, it has uh, worked well for me. Um, got out of the Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, hectic traffic and uh, stresses that go with that uh, kind of work and, or living. And uh, we've enjoyed it down here. So now I've got seven grandchildren that keep me close at hand. So it would appear that I'm an Iowan for the rest of my life. Wow. I, start, <laughs> I, I started uh, writing... Um, after my youngest daughter displayed uh, bipolar uh, tendencies, she had um, all the all the acronyms, all the letters: ADD, ADHD, uh, personality disorder. I mean, she had them all. We went to counseling and and uh, found out that one of the best things that she could do 
was to journal and write down her thoughts so that the counselors could deal with it because there's a lot of thought process. There's a lot of racing thoughts with being bipolar. And um, you're always, uh, your head, the inside of your head is always uh, active, not as active as your body. You can't possibly keep up with all the racing thoughts. But then I started journaling also because I attended to her uh, and her needs and drove her to adult daycare and to and from jail and to and from hospitals. And uh, so I adopted journaling about 10 years ago and that turned into, uh, oh, I'm up to about seven books now. They're short reads, uh, about the 200 page um, self-publishing on Amazon. Uh, they're create space. Uh, they help you uh, get on board and uh, teach you everything, show you everything. And uh, uh, to so my first book, Bipolar Dad, was a little choppy and a little limited. And I, I think that each one gets a little bit more aggressive because I learn uh, how to express myself in writing. And uh, it has helped me a great deal as far as therapy is concerned. And I consider each of my books an ongoing uh, therapy session. Right. Now, when, um, when were you diagnosed with The uh, funny thing about being bipolar is that they skirt the issue and they don't come right out and tell you till all of a sudden you've manifested all of the uh, red flags, shown, shown all the uh, red flags. And by the time I did that, I had hidden my uh, affliction very well. I had learned to cope. Um, I self-medicated with alcohol uh, for many years. I believe I was I was probably drinking to get high uh, by the age of 15. And uh, I couldn't go anywhere or do anything unless I had a, as we call it up here in, um, in the North, we call it a snootful. Uh, <laughs> when you get uh, your cups, you've had uh, enough uh, alcohol. Um, but my dad used to say that when he'd tell his jokes about about his drunk uh, brothers and, and whatever, when they had a snootful. So um, that goes back to pig farming when the pigs were eating too fast and they'd get their snoot full of food and then they'd have to snort it out. But that's a pig story, not my story. <laughs> so um, the uh, alcohol was a coping uh, mechanism and I surprised a lot of people, I think, because every time I... I ran, uh, ran out of uh, ways to cope, then I'd go to a counselor. And, but uh, with my whole life, um, it was embarrassing. I mean, to jump the stigma hurdle uh, is something that keeps many, many people still today from expressing themselves uh, freely and uh, really given an honest diagnosis. So uh, the word bipolar um, kind of uh, entered my life 
about 10 years ago, but they said that um, the, the more I seek counseling and the more they uh, talk to me and, and have, listen to my song and dance, uh, they come out and uh, in the last three to four years, my counselors have said, we feel uh, that you have been bipolar since age 15. And uh, because it was so confusing to me and there were so many thoughts uh, that um, I leaned on alcohol to self-medicate because it, it was kind of like slowing down a runaway car or a runaway bus, it did help, oh, uh, turn down the volume of the many stations that were playing in my head. And uh, I have been cold sober now for 14 years. And uh, I finally just came to the realization that um, it was something that I needed to do. And so I, I went in, um, my oldest grandson was born here in Des Moines at Mercy Hospital. And uh, my daughter, uh, we went in to see her and uh, uh, I made a commitment to myself and then to my wife and then to the little crying baby I was holding. I made the commitment that the rest of my life, no matter how long it would be, would be done as a sober grandpa, not not a drunken grandpa. So Good for he you. just turned 14 years old. So that's my uh, that's my monitor. That's my benchmark. And uh, Mr. Griffin, uh, I have started to remind him in the last couple of years that that uh, I hope to be with him for many many birthdays. Uh, because uh, he's a significant uh, uh, flag in my life. Uh, he reminds me every day when I think of his name or when I see him uh, that uh, I have been sober since he was born. Yeah, and um, we have talked, you know, before uh, the interview tonight, and you have, you, I mean, you went on to do many many things with your life um tell if you could tell the listeners a little bit about some of the things that you're involved in um you are extremely active and you know um i know that bipolar disorder um holds a lot of people back from doing things that they that they love to do and um you know looking at your bio and looking at all the things that you're involved in um you're a little bit older than I am, uh, but you're extremely active. And I think that would be really encouraging for the listeners to, to hear a little bit about all the things you're involved in um, besides, you know, writing and, and speaking on, on uh, bipolar. One of the, uh, one of the uh, breakthroughs for me, uh, again, was uh, you have to retrain yourself when you jump the stigma hurdle. Um, it is something that obviously I should have done in my 20s or my 30s or whatever, but um, I didn't really jump that until I started writing about it, admitting my flaws and uh, some of the uh, colorful uh, uh, past that I've had and uh, actions uh, 
Um, I retired from the Postal Service in 2008. So I'm now in my 13th year of retirement. Um, but what that did was it opened up, it's kind of like it opened up all the gates. And I have so many different part-time jobs and activities. Um, I can tell you that this year, I mean, I, uh, 2020 did not bother me at all because I have been a lone wolf. I've been an isolationist. I have been um, hiding in the basement, whatever. Um, I, I now have this year, the taxes are just coming out, okay? I had 13 income sources in the year 2020. I went over six figures in 2020. Um, whether it's writing books or speaking engagements, I got into acting and I answered some calls and it seems like they're always looking for some wide load with a full head of hair. And me, I weigh 250, I weigh six, or I'm six feet tall. I weigh 250 plus. <laughs> and uh, I've had a full head of hair and I had a full beard up until a week ago, but I needed to shave that because I'm going to be in a movie. Uh, we're going to start shooting in Sunday. Uh, the end of 2020, I was in three different commercials running at the same time. One was for a casino where I'm all dressed up, makeup and hair done. And I'm with my third fake wife of the year, gambling on the boss's money and having a great time for a uh, regional commercial for um, Wild Rose Casino, which is one of the 17 casinos here in the state of Iowa. Uh, again, that's a number that surprises me. I had no idea we had 17 casinos. <laughs> uh, all the old uh, farmers loved to gamble. They're making fortune, by the way. Uh, the ag banks and all that kind of stuff, they are making a fortune. There are no broke farmers. That's another story. But anyway, we started <laughs> with the acting, doing some voiceovers. I was... Oh, six commercials last year. You had the casino commercial. Then I was a delivery guy delivering medicine for Wellmark, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. Uh, and that rad, I finished off the year 2020 in the big red suit and the big white beard. I was Santa on the top of a roof of a quickly built house uh, for a commercial that ran every, I don't know, 15 minutes uh, on four different channels um, throughout the month of December, but you, it could have been anybody, but it was me. I was Santa and uh, it was so much fun and they pay well. I mean, it's not like, you know, we're Hollywood rich, but you know, two, 300 bucks. And again, it's the self-esteem boost, which when you're bipolar, a self-esteem boost is the big adrenaline rush that everybody needs. And in order to get it, people search it out in different ways. Drugs, uh, dangerous behavior, uh, risky behavior, uh, broken marriages, uh, uh, affairs, um, alcohol, you name it. Uh, to get that boost to your 
psyche that boost uh, it. I found it just by answering an ad and found out that, uh, oh, by the way, I fit right in. So I got this, this Sunday we're going to do, I'm going to be what's called a featured extra. I'm going to be on the camera all the time, but I will be a dead person. I will be the victim of a crime on the floor as 10 or 12 people walk around me and investigate. But the director said that I will come back once it's picked up uh, and they start getting the finance. This is going to be the teaser and they're going to uh, come back and I'm going to return as the twin brother with a speaking part. So uh, that's, that's kind of fun. And then there's another movie being shot in June in Cedar Rapids. And these are all SAG after movies because uh, they're finding that you can't uh, get one done very inexpensively. In fact, they go to Texas, they go to Austin, they go, they go to uh, Houston, but they really like Austin um, uh, to shoot Atlanta, Georgia. Hollywood is no longer, they can do it for a third the price if they come to Iowa to shoot the movie. So we're happy to have a couple of writers that graduated from the University of Iowa and uh, they convinced the money makers that why not just shoot in Iowa? We can get the, uh, we can get the actors for 300 bucks a day, uh, the carpenters, the electricians at uh, uh, regular value. So uh, we're getting a little resurgence of movies here. Just another uh, aspect that a lot of people may not be looking into. Um, then I was driving a school bus. I drove a school bus for nine years, and that pays very well. It pays $21 an hour, and uh, you can work all the hours you want, plus you get a 401k, and you get medical, and you get dental, and, and they're always looking for school bus drivers. And then I started driving a tour bus, so I've been all over the country driving a tour bus because some of the people seem to think that I have a gift of gab and I can really entertain the little old ladies as we uh, roll on down to Branson for a four-day all-expenses-paid vacation. And uh, that has turned into a, uh, uh, a fun part-time job. Well, that's, uh, wow. <laughs> and I thought I was busy at 57 years old. Um, do you mind sharing with the listeners um, how old you are, you know, today? I just, I, I am 74 years old and wow. uh, I have been reared, like I say, from the postal service from 2008. And uh, it's one of those things where I have a pacemaker. Uh, I recommend it to everybody. You start feeling sluggish, go get yourself a pacemaker. You'll start feeling a lot better. <laughs> and and uh, it just perks you up. And, and since the pacemaker got put in, um, that has really helped my whole body top to bottom uh, get reactivated or rejuvenated. So um, there's a heart issue uh that I, I must bring that in too. So um, it, I feel good. I mean, some of my high school classmates 
um, we get together or I see him on Facebook or uh, Twitter or whatever. I said, golly, they're getting old. <laughs> Those are some old <laughs> folks. <laughs> and I had a couple of, a uh, couple of uh, classmates, female classmates, well, a couple of cheerleaders. They showed up at one of my speaking engagements when I was up in Minnesota two years ago. And uh, they came in and said, we can't believe, well, what are you doing? How can you, you know, whatever. And I said, well, I've had a lot of dermatology surgery. I've had skin cancer. I probably have 20 operations on my face. It's kind of like uh, insurance paid uh, uh, plastic surgery. And, uh, but thank you very much, girls. I really appreciate the fact that uh, you think I'm, I'm looking youthful. <laughs> I don't know if they were just BS and me or not. Well, that's, uh, that's something else. Um, we're fixing to go to our, uh, our sponsor break. And so um, we're going to do that. And then when, when we come back, um, I, I want to cover two, two main areas. Um, I want to have you talk uh, about the book Scatterbrain and how that book came to be. Uh, and maybe some of the other books that you've written as well. But I wanted to focus in on Scatterbrain. And um, I want to revisit the correlation between racing thoughts and staying active and doing multiple things in your life that you love and enjoy, which as yourself being um, being one with bi with bipolar disorder, uh, it seems that that is uh, that is the way that you are dealing with uh, being bipolar um, and and controlling those racing thoughts. So um, that's how I'm hearing it, and that's how how I'm understanding it. So we're going to take a uh, a short break, and when we come back, um, we'll kind of delve into. Um, the multiple career paths and the multiple things that you're doing. And uh, I want to, would like to hear more about uh, the book Scatterbrain and some of the other books that you've written as well. So stay with me, uh, James, and we're going to take a, uh, a sponsor break and we'll be right back shortly. Welcome our new sponsor, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform. When you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran, and your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code BRADRICHARD at scarsandstripescoffee.com. That's scarsandstripescoffee.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and we have been speaking with author James Stordahl. He is the author of the book Scatterbrain, and he is also, um, also has a bipolar disorder and has written several books on uh, on being bipolar. So welcome back, James. Um, the first segment was filled with some pretty, uh, pretty incredible information. And uh, like I said, before we went to break, um, tell me and the listeners a little bit about the book Scatterbrain, how that book actually uh, uh, was manifested and came into, uh, came into, into reality. 
Okay, uh, thanks, Brad. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, way to look at life. If you spend it in bed or in the basement or not functioning at all because you have so many thoughts uh, and you don't know which one to uh, react to. I mean, it's uh, I did not know that um, I had racing thoughts. I just thought I was full of ideas. And uh, when I was in school uh, back in the 60s, um, I could get so lost looking out the window um, at a nice cloud formation or a couple of birds uh, attacking each other or whatever. I'd get so lost that the teacher could come right over to me and uh, talk to me. And then I had no idea what in or what was going on. And then, of course, that went up the uh, embarrassment and the ridicule of the classmates uh, because they'd giggle and laugh because uh, old space cadet uh, Jim was staring off into space and he had... You know, I couldn't tell anybody that I had so many thoughts uh, and I just couldn't take time to focus on what the stupid teacher was trying to tell me. And so that got me into trouble uh, because the teacher's just trying to do their job and I'm just trying to swim through a, uh, a sea of, uh, oh, 10 ideas in, in a class, maybe more. Um, sometimes they would hang around for uh, five minutes. Sometimes they would uh, just zip by, kind of like going to um, a slideshow that uh, was out of control. It was just click up different ideas. And that would uh, uh, show in a, in a number of different ways. I mean, I'm talking about horseback riding, flying an airplane, uh, everything to do with sex. I mean, I was 14, 15 years old, uh, developing like all 14, 15 year old boys. I mean, you got girls on your mind and uh, then you've got sports and then you've got uh, embarrassing, you know, all the stuff, it all manifested itself in much larger formations. I mean, like when us boys uh, first started going to the locker room with the rest of the boys. I mean, sometimes it's embarrassing um, it to, you know, all of a sudden you're running around naked and you don't really care for running around naked, but you know how to yourself. So then um, same old story when I was in class, one of the girls that always, I mean, we're all alphabetical. So one of the girls sat in front of me uh, and her name is Barb. I won't give her last name. Uh, I knew her husband real well, too. He was a roommate of mine up in Minneapolis for a while before he went back home to marry her. And so um, she just turned around and uh, some of the songs I would sing or the thoughts I'd come up with just drove her kind of nuts. And she said, you are a scatterbrain. And that stuck with me from age 15, being labeled a scatterbrain from one of my attractive female classmates. It stuck with me. And she was at the uh, St. James Library over at, uh, that was in uh, Watanwan County in Southern uh, 
Minnesota. I had about 35 people in the audience. Uh, that's kind of like what you get uh, when you're talking mental health because you have to jump over a stigma hurdle just to admit that you want to hear about mental health stories. But 35, I considered to be a good audience. And she was in there and I recognized her, uh, even though it had been many, many years. And I said that to her and she did not remember, but I remembered the day and the reason she turned around and was mad and called me the scatterbrain. And that's how I labeled one of my books. I mean, it's like my books are a kind of explosion of thoughts. You can't really call them memoirs because they are so, um, I, I kind of call them radical, but it's kind of like I, I go uh, in thought spurts and just try that when you're at a keyboard and you're doing this and you're doing that. I, uh, I, um, I got it. I got it from, it's from my first book, uh, bipolar dead and this psychiatrist and, uh, the author of the bipolar child, he detailed the symptoms of bipolar disorder. His name is Dimitri Papoulos, uh, psychiatrist. And, uh, I'll just run through this fairly quick, abrupt, rapid cycling of mood throughout the day goofy and giddy gives way to angry and aggressive i mean there's my high school right there abrupt rapid cycling of mood throughout the day high low manic depressive goofy giddy angry aggressive that was me through high school i barely graduated racing thoughts I'm talking about a lot of thoughts, just not a few confusing things like, you know, what stepping down from a curb or sitting in the same pew at church or, or whatever. I'm talking many, many thoughts. Periods of unusually elevated self-confidence possible with delusions of grandeur. Well, elated self-confidence that may speak to a lot of people. But I was arrogant. I was cocky. I mean, I was mouthy. Delusions of grandeur? Yeah, I thought I could see through walls. I thought I could fly. I thought I was someone else. When I heard a great singer on the radio, I thought I was doing the singing. I thought that was all so natural. It wasn't. Sleep disturbances, difficulty getting up in the morning, teeth grinding. Oh, my mother, in order to get me up, she had a broom. She was in the kitchen and our bedroom was right. My brother and I, our bedroom was right above the kitchen. She'd pound on the ceiling because the two or three alarms wouldn't do it. She'd be pounding on the ceiling with the broom handle to get me up in the morning and she'd knock the plaster off of the ceiling. She'd be pounding on there so much. She used to get a big laugh out of that, but I said, you know, there's another uh, disturbance in my life that I'd never addressed or dealt with. Significant episodes of aggression in response to perceived threats. Oh, perceived threats, hello. 
Is that your dad talking to you? Is that my dad talking to you? Significant episodes of aggression in response to perceived thoughts. Well, have you ever quit a job because you don't like the jerk you're working with? Or maybe you don't like your boss? How many jobs have you had? I've had 68 since my very first job, a bag of groceries at Hale Super Value in Medelia, Minnesota, I've had 68 jobs. I've had 10 just in the last couple of years, but they've all been making money. But I mean, it's kind of like being on a merry-go-round. You just never know when the brass ring's going to stop by. Fears of separation and abandonment. Perceiving even the most benign of stimuli is threatening, even in familiar surroundings. Fears of separation and abandonment. I mean, it took me forever and a day to accept a high-paying job with lots of promise, just moving 250 miles from Minneapolis down to Des Moines. Took me a, a long, long time to accept the job. I'm glad they hung in here because my four daughters have all met their husbands and we love living in Iowa. Difficulty in making transitions and handling disappointment and criticism. Difficulty in making transitions and handling disappointment and criticism. Here's the one that kind of makes people shy away. Unusual display of sexuality. Have you gone through periods of your life where one girlfriend is not enough, maybe two, maybe three. Other signs include poor frustration tolerance and frequent complaints of boredom. That is from Dimitri Papoulos, psychiatrist and author of The Bipolar Child, detailing the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Now, that uh, is kind of one of the things, the, uh, the line of thought that roams through all my books. Uh, Scatterbrain was de dedicated to, to uh, my classmate Barb, but all of my books have a scatterbrain quality to it. When I started selling my books and giving them away to members of uh, the bus barn, the uh, school bus drivers here in Ankeny, Iowa. We have about 110 uh, bus drivers in Ankeny. We're a 70,000 population north of Des Moines. And they all came back to me with the same thing. They said, gosh, you, uh, you bounce around a little bit, don't you, Jim? I said, yeah, <laughs> you ought to try it from my side. You're right. I do bounce around quite a bit. My last, uh, my most recent book, um, I gave it the title, Send My Mail to the End of the Trail, which is a uh, song written by the uh, Sons of the San Joaquin, a country western uh, group that uh, I was listening to as I wrote uh, uh, two other books. I have one out that's uh, been uh, asked for and I've been uh, both selling it and handing it out and it's the KMA syndrome and the KMA syndrome is one of the uh, uh, oh it's a story about 
uh, for me, the disintegration of our moral fiber that started long ago. Um, it, it was small and hidden in the backs of minds. It was the quiet reactions to a variety of stimulation. We baby boomers, I mean, I'm a first year baby boomer, were mostly value programmed by the greatest generation. You could say some things in public and others needed to be kept in private. Now we are a jumbled mess of everyone wants to get in their two cents worth. Now the last four years, uh, and I don't want to get too political here, don't want to turn off anybody because I'm just here to tell a story. Um, there's a song that was sang at the uh, White House for the past four years that uh, appealed to the growing population that had stopped waiting to be heard. The part of the population so very tired of being left out. Um, I call it the woe is me crowd. The where is my piece of the pie people. The ones that no longer want to wait to be treated like they thought they should be treated. I think the I do not care society has been spawned by the hell no, we won't go protesters of the 60s. They've grown into the mess we have today. If you don't like what you're being told, the likely response today is to tell your full kiss my ass or KMA for short. We will miss. We will never be the same. That's a, a little story about the KMA syndrome. There's also a lighter one called bus biz. Um, my nine years of driving a school bus, my views um, of the disintegration of uh, discipline um, it can sometimes be funny. It can sometimes be maddening. It got me because I, I didn't quit. I just retired from school bus driving last year. <laughs> and my most recent job, I was a office services supervisor with the census uh, this past year. Yeah, that gave you a whole other, a whole other perspective. Unbelievable. When you talk to people, uh, I was on the census 10 years ago. In the census this year, people are so apprehensive about who's going to call you on the phone or why do you want that information? What are you going to do with that information? And they're rude. And 10 years ago, they weren't that rude. Um, so we're switching into a, uh, a um, environment that doesn't get along. And to me, it kind of explains uh, why we are uh, as... Um, disgruntled. That's it. I got to take a breath now. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I agree. Uh, disgruntled, uh, disgruntled people, um, angry people. Uh, this, you know, this podcast, I started it for my brothers and sisters in the military. Um, I do believe that they have, um, seeds of greatness within them. They have life lessons and skill sets to become leaders and to become independent thinkers and uh, strong people. Um, I think society as a whole, we need those pillars of strength. We need uh, men and women that we can trust. Uh, the, uh, the people that do what they say they will do 
and they will follow through on their promises. And um, my experience in the military um, and then the people that I served with, I, uh, I miss them. I miss the camaraderie and the, um, the underlying <clears throat> team um, aspect to uh, the military. And <clears throat> I know that, uh, you know, a lot of my uh, veterans, uh, friends out there, you know, I mean, they're, they're struggling. I know a lot of them are struggling with bipolar uh, disorder, along with PTSD and, and things of that nature. And uh, that's the purpose of the podcast. Uh, your story is inspirational. It is in line with why I do this podcast. Um, I know that you are a veteran yourself of 22 years, uh, 11 in the Army and 11 in the Navy. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, now they're now everybody's going to be shaking their head. What? 11? Yeah. What? Couldn't well, he make uh, up his mind? Yeah, no, uh, I could not make up my mind. He, yeah, well, why not? You know, you, you should have. You could have split it up three ways. Um, <laughs> seven, seven Air Force, seven Navies. Seven in the army. That'd have been 21 years. Oh, I've got an air force story for you. Oh, um, we, we may have to, we may have to get that off air. Uh, we're coming up here towards the very end of the episode. Um, and and I want to finish with, um, if you, if you could give your personal advice on dealing with bipolar disorder, or PTSD, or any mental health issue that family members are aware of that listen to the podcast, or men and women in the military that listen to the Men on a Mission podcast, what would be three things that they can do to move forward in their lives and help themselves to become better and stronger people? That is a uh, that is uh, the uh, real root uh, uh, of the uh, garden, uh, so to speak. Um, you have to recognize first. Um, I recognized, but didn't share. Um, once you recognize, either in yourself or a family member or loved one recognizes. Uh, the continuation of uh, erratic actions uh, that it wasn't just you didn't just hit your thumb with a hammer this is something that controls I mean 68 jobs I mean uh, anomaly okay if you've gone through a dozen jobs and you can't get along with your boss you've got issues and the uh, you have to recognize it uh you have to talk about it uh, you have to dump that stigma hurdle and uh seek help that's one of the problems that we have had over the years first getting over that stigma hurdle but now it's like everybody's in a rush there are many different avenues uh, for help for assistance. Talking about it is the best way to do it. Writing about it, 
Number two, write about it. And uh, like this podcast, I mean, Brad, you're doing, you're doing a great service to all of those in and out of the service by bringing this out. You're talking about it. You're bringing it to the forefront and uh, you can't hide it. You can't drown it with alcohol. You can't numb it forever because it is in your head and uh, you have to um, move along because there are ways to get help. Phone calls, visits, uh, but talking about it and writing about it. Excellent, excellent advice. And with that, um, uh, James, I, I want to thank you for being on the Men on a Mission podcast. Um, so much information. I know we could go longer. Um, my voice, <clears throat> my voice probably wouldn't last too much longer. I got those bad Texas, uh, East Texas allergies. But I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with James Stordahl. He is a, um, a multi-time author. He does have bipolar disorder, and he has a very, very active life uh, lifestyle and has so many great uh, uh, insights and tips on mental health issues um, and bipolar uh, disorder uh, specifically. So I want to thank you, Jim, um, for being on the podcast, your contact information, um, the book Scatterbrain will have links in the show notes where you can connect with James. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he'd be glad to hear from you. And uh, I would encourage you to um, definitely do that. Check out his book, get, uh, get all of his books on Amazon. Um, they're all terrific. And uh, I, once again, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure and we will talk again. I'm sure. Thanks a lot, Brad. You're very welcome. And I uh, want to thank everyone for uh, joining us uh, tonight on the Men on a Mission podcast. Make sure you listen to the very end so you can sing along with your branch song. And uh, I'll end the way I always end. Take care of yourself. Take care of your little me. And uh, love that little person. So until next time, bye for now.
Yeah.